life really is just a bunch of decisions. Mm. And the unmade decisions are the one that really, really hurts you. Mm. People will follow decisive people. Because if you're decisive and that decision is leading towards purpose and a goal, people will follow you partly because they believe the same thing, but partially because they didn't have to make the decision. And I'm not denigrating people. Everybody's decisive in their own area. But when you have goals, a plan and say, let's go, we're heading north today, people will follow you. If you go, I don't know, today I'm west, tomorrow I'm southeast, but maybe we'll go north. People will drift away. So the big question is this, how do small business owners like us grow our business, grow our leadership and develop our teams in a way that allows us to get our products and services out of the world, yet still remain profitable? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Bradley Hamner, and this is the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Hey, before we get into today's episode, did you know that Club Capital is the largest accounting and advisory firm for insurance agency owners in the country, providing monthly accounting, CFO services, and tax preparation? Check them out at club.capital. Welcome to another episode of the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. My name is Bradley Hamner, your host. On today's episode, we have Martin Holland. Martin has been active in small business for over 48 years. And prior to becoming a business coach in 2011, he's helped start or reorganize eight small businesses. His experience has taught him that there are principles common to successful businesses and omissions common to struggling businesses. He recently published a book titled, They Say I Make Money, So Why Don't I Have Any?, which shows business owners how to use bookkeeping information to make better decisions and make more money. That should sound familiar to you. We talk about that all the time. And that's exactly what Club Capital does. I really hope you enjoy this conversation with Martin. It's a wide range. And we talk about bookkeeping on the front side and on the back side. We really talk about kind of his four disciplines or his approach to business that I think you're going to get a lot of value out of it. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Martin Holland. Wouldn't it be a great start to 2021 by having more leads in your book of business? Well, that's where our partners at Direct Clicks Inc. come in. Their team's dialed-in approach to running Google ads and online SEO campaigns maximize the quality and the volume of your leads, whether that's for inbound phone calls or even exclusive leads through your website. Direct Clicks Inc. works only with PNC insurance agency owners, so they have thousands of hours creating A-B split testing and improving online campaigns specifically for insurance. They also understand why each and every marketing dollar matters in providing true results, low paper clicks, transparency, and attention to detail, all of which is discussed in depth during your monthly review calls. Reach out to the Direct Clicks team at directclicksinc.com. That's directclicksinc.com and find out how they can make a difference in your approach to generating new business. Are you ready to get out of the daily rut and begin working at your highest level? Coach P Consulting will help you do just that using the same strategies he did to sell over 500 life insurance policies in 2020 and own track for over 600 life insurance policies in 2021. No, this is not your regular one and done type coaching. You'll get personalized coaching two days a week, every week of the month, and you'll get a live look at the behind the scenes team training and an office performing at the highest level. Coach P currently has a 100% retention rate for everyone who joins. And hey, those numbers speak for themselves. Coach P will train your team alongside his own to show you the exact steps they are taking to achieve Chairman Circle and two agencies, exotic travel, and multi-line presence club. 
So whether your goal is to be the top of your local market or amongst the best in the country, this training will give you the strategies and tactics to get you there. For just $250 a month, you'll get high-level coaching each week from someone who is already getting it done at that level. His strategies work, and it's time to put them to work for you. Sign up at coachpconsulting.com and get 50% off your first month of coaching when you mention the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Again, that's coachpconsulting.com. Martin Harlan, welcome to the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Thank you, sir. I love this stuff. Excited to have you. So as you know, we start with background and origin stories. So why don't you tell our listening audience about just your background and how you got to where you are today? I've been around a while. I've been in small business for 48 years, maybe coming up on 49 years, which dates me a little bit. Over that time, I started or reorganized eight businesses. Two of them failed. Four of them we sold, meaning we being me and my partners. Two of them I'm actively involved in now, one of which is my coaching business. Industries ranging from, I was in agriculture commodities for 12 years, biotechnology, two manufacturing companies, water treatment, chemicals. I'm leaving something out. But but anyway, across a broad range of businesses. And the thing that I really, that I benefit unknowingly, but I realize it now is every business is unique, but all businesses are the same. And so I don't have to walk in understanding the intricacies of an insurance agency or I have doctor clients, I have attorney clients, I have mostly manufacturers and contractors, I have a publisher, I'm just running through my mind. I don't need to know everything about all of those or retailing, but the principles are the same. And so I've just, I have three kids, one of whom will turn 40 here in about four weeks. And other than that, I'm a painter. I paint, uh, ride my bicycle long distances. Love that. I saw that you're a boater and a golfer. I used to be a golfer, but one of the great advances in my life was deciding I don't golf anymore. <laughs> Sucking up a lot of time and really frustrating me. And I made the declaration, I don't golf. I still do go out on occasion, but I don't tell myself that I'm a golfer. Well, I'm looking forward to the conversation for our listening audience. Martin and I talked a few days ago. And outside of our love for college football, we ended up realizing that both of us are just business junkies and we just love the business of business. And so I came, obviously, for our listening audience, I came across his book, The Profit Problem, and I just absolutely loved the title or the subtitle of it, which is, they say I make money. So why don't I have any? And you were telling the story about how your publisher wanted to take that out. But that's exactly, that's exactly. And so let's just start with that premise. So much fun with that. The original title I came up with was, they say I make money, so why don't I have any? And publisher said, no, 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 no. You can only have two words for it, Max. And my publisher came up with a profit problem, which I very much appreciate. She said, well, we can put that as a subtitle, but let's take that they say out. And I go, no way. Because that's exactly what happens. People don't know if they made money last month. Now, some people do, but it's a vanishingly small amount. Even that, the, one of the most fundamental questions in business is, am I making money? And people don't know. Yeah. And then they find out from their accountant around tax time, which would be next April, they get the information and they extend it. So they find out September of next year, if I made money last month. Mm-hmm. Well. That's not sufficient. 
So I said, leave that they say in there. And every business owner who ever sees it points to that and just goes, ah, they laugh. They identify with it. So, yeah, I was telling Martin the story. I may have shared it on one of our episodes previously, but really early in my business career, I think it was my second or third year, I went to see my accountant at the time and he told me, congratulations, you've made a profit. You made, I think it was $32,000, $33,000. And I said, fantastic. And I really hate to say this. It's kind of embarrassing to say it out loud to a bunch of really smart business people who listen to this podcast. But at the time I said, great, where's that money? I had a, probably $100 in my business checking account. And he thought I was kidding. And I was literally like, how did I make $30,000 and I have no cash? And so first, what I want to ask you, Martin, is two things. One is helping just to distinguish the difference between profit and cash because they're not the same. But then also about the importance of utilizing financial statements and analytics to be able to make decisions in the business. Oh, those are two critically important questions. Thank you for asking them. I also listened to one, I've listened to a number of your podcasts, but one of them recently, you talked about people making emotional decisions. And you said that oftentimes people equate emotional decisions with negative decisions. I got emotional about it. And that's true. But there's the flip side of that. And that is, I don't keep good books. I've got my bank app and I open it up and there's, wow, there's more money in there than I thought. And so you do something stupid. And for contractors, it's maybe buying a piece of equipment or a truck. You talked about maybe hiring five people because finally I can do it. And then you find out the only reason that money was in there, not necessarily from insurance agents, but happens in contracting all the time. You got a customer deposit. Well, that's not your money. Or you didn't pay your credit card. Well, that's not your money. You haven't paid your suppliers. That's not your money. You better not spend it. So the essence of what I'm trying to do in in my book is say, make informed decisions. And in my 48 years of business, I always presumed everybody knew this stuff. I was benefited greatly from having a father when I was a teenager who discussed these things with me as an entrepreneur. So I was aware of bookkeeping and margins and break even and how to make decisions. So I thought everybody knew that. And when I started coaching 11 years ago, I was embarrassed to bring this up with people because I thought, oh, matter of fact, I'm giving a talk this afternoon in Tulsa to a group of manufacturers. And always when I show them the very basic fundamental ways to use financial information to make decisions, I'm always self-conscious that, oh, these guys know that. We're talking companies with $8,200 million of sales. Not all of them, but, oh, they know this. They don't. And so I'm unabashed now walking in. If there's a guy over in the corner, a lady over there who totally gets it, I go, back me up. Am I right on this? And they always nod and say that. So we can talk about some specifics. And I think it's beneficial to do that because it makes a connection with people of how you do that. But your second question or your first question was, what's the difference between profit and cash? And they're just, I'm holding up my fingers with my outfit, outstretched hands and just my little fingers are touching. They're related, but other than having this tangential relation, they're almost have nothing. Well, I don't want to say they don't have anything to do with each other, but they're completely different subjects. And what happens at first, you must in your business make money and you must know that you are. 
because cash flow problems or any other kind of problems you have, if you're losing money, it won't work. So you must know that about your business and you must sell things for more than it costs you to do that. Right. That's question number one. Now, when you step out of that question is how can I operate? How can I run? And that answer is, do I have cash? And if you make money and you don't have cash, which is a tremendously intricate sounding problem, there are only three reasons that that can happen. And it's useful to understand these three reasons, because once you understand where your cash went, you can do something about it. That's an informed decision. This is my problem. Therefore, this is what I need to do about it. Setting aside the idea that first problem is I need to make money. And if you're not, you need to fix that. But the three reasons that you can possibly make a profit and not have cash are these. Number one, you haven't been paid yet. That means that you've made sales and they contribute to profit, but you have accounts receivables. So your customers haven't paid you. That's the number one reason. The second reason is you already spent the money buying assets or paying down prior debt. Okay. Assets are not expenses, so they don't reduce your profit. But you can go out there and buy inventory, you can buy cars, you can buy computers, aren't really assets, but you can buy things that you need to operate your equipment and spend your cash that way. So the first one is you haven't been paid yet. The second one is you already spent it on assets or debt. The third one is you, as the owner, took it out of your company as draws. Draws are not an expense. They're taking a distribution of profit. That's it. What complicates it is that maybe you collected more receivables than you allowed new ones, but you spent more on ass. Anyway, it's a jumbled mix of all those things. Yep. And where you get in problems, like we were talking about having too much cash, is those three reasons work in reverse as well. Sometimes you collect more in past receivables than you charge out on new receivables this year. Sometimes you sell more assets than you buy. Sometimes you pay off more debt than you incur new debt. And sometimes you put more money in your business than you took out of your business. So all the possible combinations of those three things in or out kind of jumble things up. But if you have a profit and you don't have any money, it's one or all of those three reasons. And if you identify it, that's accounts receivables, then you need to get to work um, collecting in passing because we're talking about accounts receivable consuming your cash. In this presentation today, I'm using an actual client's financial statements, and he's a manufacturer. He allows 10-day terms. His actual terms, or his actual day sales outstanding, the actual outstanding average for his debt are 18 days, which is pretty good for a lot of people. Yeah. But if you could get the eight day or 18 days down to 10, it would free up $350,000 worth of capital. Yeah. And when I told him that today, because I said I'm using these numbers, he said, my God, what? Well, what can you do to improve your collections? And I don't just mean call up and chew people out. I mean, things like prompt billing, bill every day. Don't ever give me this stuff about, well, we we invoice on Fridays. No, if the job is done today or you can bill today, bill today. Yeah. Follow up and say, did you get that? You get into things you can actually do when you've identified what the problem is. And I want to draw a distinction for our listening audience on a couple of things. Number one, what he's referring to, as an insurance agency owner, you may not have the problem with money sitting in accounts receivable in AR. What he's describing there is a real bad situation. One of my clients 
that was getting really close to running out of cash. Okay. I mean, on his 13 week cash flow cycle, he was two or three weeks away from running out of cash. And for your business, cash is the equivalent of oxygen. It's really the business oxygen. It really is. But he had $75,000, $80,000 sitting in accounts receivable all over 30 days past right. due. Okay. There's this problem right there. Now, for me, very early on in my career that I did not realize is one, when I would go to the ATM and just withdraw literal cash out, okay, I didn't understand how that that was actually affecting things on the books and where that was going, et cetera. I didn't know the idea about draws or distributions. And then a real tangible example that you gave also, in addition to that one, is around my vehicle. You know, my first year in business, I did probably around $200,000 in top line revenue. So a $600 car payment was a big deal. And I never saw that on my income statement. And I was so confused. I was like, wait a minute, where's the car payment? Right. And my accountant would say, again, at the time, he would say, well, that's a balance sheet item. And I had no <laughs> idea. I was like, what does that mean? I do not know what that means. And just to further that statement, I said, hey, can you teach me some things? He said, sure. So we come back and I met with him a few weeks later. We ended up charging me like $600. And I was more confused leaving that meeting than whenever I walked in. That was and an so, statement item. <laughs> that came right yeah. out of profit. That's 600 Yeah, for sure. So anyway, but you get the point, right? And so those are some of the a couple examples that I know I certainly had early in my career. That I couldn't distinguish between the two. And so for many of us, we may not have cash thing in AR, but that doesn't mean that we don't have well, cash thing, flow problems. I, I do have some insurance agencies and you do have, not to disagree with you, insurance agents do have ARs for a month, but they're really predictable because the insurance company is going to send you your commission. Well, the, that's right? That's but you, yeah. you don't have the use of that money for a month. But that's you're right. True. It's predictable and it comes in. It's not like you're selling to the public or to right. a general contractor who has their own cash flow problems. And the way they solve it is don't pay you. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. but yeah. there are other, well, the thing I'd like to say too is my emphasis with people is I want them to understand clearly that I don't want my clients to worry about how to keep books or to worry about accounting or even understand there's a level of understanding that's pretty easy. What I want them to do is to recognize the information they can take out of financial statements and how they can use it. And let me give you another example. This is one of the most fundamental. Well, I do ask people, what's your breaking? And everybody intuitively, if not explicitly, understands break-even is the point where I've sold enough to start making a profit and I've paid all my expenses. So it's zero on the bottom line. They will inevitably tell me their total expenses, whatever their total expenses are. So I got 900,000 expenses. They want my break-even is 900. Almost universally, that's not true. And let me say why that is. Let's, I'm, my agents currently get 9% of premium sales. It's, Never that easy, but that's basically it for the first year. So the premium they sell, they're going to get 9%. Let's call it 10 because that's easier. So you sit there and say, well, I sold $100,000 worth of premium. That's going to put $10,000 in my bank account. That's my top line at the agency. You say, right, that is. But what do you do with that? Do you give half that premium, 5% to the salesperson? That's a very common thing. So your real margin your earnings on that is 5%. Okay, so now I want to hire a new service person and they're going to cost me 5,000 a month. That may be too much, but 
the math all works out. How much more do you have to sell to pay that 5,000 person? It's not 5,000 because you only get half of what comes in. It's 10,000. That's true for everything you do. And you need to know what that is. Okay. Another example specific to the kind of examples I like to have people hear because at least piques their interest enough to say, I'm going to look into it. The average business in the United States returns 6.9% of sales as net profit before taxes. So million dollars, you make 69,000. Let's call it 70,000 before taxes. Take taxes out, you're going to make 40,000 on a million. By the way, the general public been pulled by AEI many times thinks that businesses make 36% net after taxes. No wonder they think we're a bunch of greedy guys, right? Anyway, so you're out there making 4%. If, back to my original example, a million bucks, you're making 4% or 7% net after tax or before tax. If you can increase your gross profit margin by 1%, you will increase your net profit by 14.5%. People Say, now, wait a minute, what? It's true. The power of small changes when you recognize the importance of small changes. Another thing I like to put out, the average business in the United States, if they will increase their sales by 20% without increasing their overhead, they will double their net profit. This goes back to a large part of the premiums that you earn or your share of the premiums that you earn are paying your overhead, your office rent and your utility bills and your insurance, and your payroll, and your benefits, you're paying all that stuff. So you work your way through the month. Let's say it takes 25 days out of a month to pay those bills. You have made nothing at all. And the way I say it in my book is if you don't break even until the 29th of the month, you better not go fishing on the 30th because that's your only opportunity to actually make money before all those monthly bills reset the next month. So everybody needs to know what their break-even sales are and when that happens because you make nothing before that. A lot of business owners go to work every day and think, I'm making a little money today. My employees are making a little money today. My landlord's making a little money. Everybody's making a little money today. No, 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 no. You, as a business owner, are making nothing until you hit break-even. It's a critical concept. You need to understand how it's done and you need to know what it is for your business. I didn't think about this until until this conversation. Are you familiar with the uh, 4DX, Four Disciplines of Execution? Yes. Yeah. So I interviewed, his podcast will probably drop before yours. I just interviewed right. Jim Hewling, who was one of the authors on that book. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because for a listening audience, I want to bring together two concepts that I think could potentially seem to be in uh, conflict with one another, but I don't think that they are. And one of the concepts that he talks about, I think it's discipline number two, where they talk about is act on the lead measure. And so they talk about leading and lagging indicators. And on the podcast, Jim does a great job of kind of giving the analogy around weight loss and saying, hey, weight loss is a lagging indicator for diet and exercise and all these other things. And so they're really big on execution, which is to look at and focus on your leading indicators. And that makes sense. Financial statements are absolutely a lagging indicator. That does not mean just because something is a lagging indicator that you don't measure it and you don't use what you said earlier, which is use that to make informed decisions moving forward. And 
Martin, you also brought up whenever I mentioned about emotional decisions, right? And because that can go both ways is that have you ever heard of make a decision with your gut? Well, that stands for gave up thinking, right? <laughs> gave up thinking. Yeah. So I just want to get you to kind of talk about those two seemingly oh. contrasting ideas and philosophies. Well, I think we're completely congruent. And I emphasize that in my book. Do people recognize your agency brand? More importantly, do people care about your brand? At Relevant Marketing Solutions, we partner with you to clarify your message and deliver it through multiple marketing channels, creating a brand that inspires. With over 10 years experience working with insurance agencies, our team can help your agency not only get noticed, but start cultivating brand champions. From creating a logo to putting it on a coffee mug, we are your one-stop shop for all things marketing. We can even produce a video of you drinking out of your cool new mug. Visit us at relevantadvantage.com to learn more. And if you're a State Farm agent, you can also find us at sfagentpromos.com. And be sure to enter Club Capital at checkout for a special discount. That's Club Capital, lowercase and no spaces at checkout for a special discount. Relevant Marketing Solutions, helping you cultivate brand champions. Are you an agency owner looking to grow your revenue and increase your bottom line? Club Capital is here to help. Built for agents by agents, so we know your struggles. With accounting, payroll, and HR solutions, tax services, analytics, and more, let's get you on the path to serious success. Using data-driven insights, you'll grow your business based on revenue and expense comparisons alongside your top performing peers. With over $100 million in tracked annual revenue and $70 million in tracked annual expenses, we have the data to help you make better informed decisions for your agency. Let's make your back office less of a hassle and more of the strategic generator that powers the growth to take your agency and your leadership to the next level. Visit club.capital today to book your complimentary, no obligation demo. Club Capital, way more than a CPA firm. Most business owners are not that interested in their books. It's a little bit like changing oil. It's something you got to do because I got to pay my taxes. I got to get some reports to my bankers. I don't trust the information I get. Some months I've got a profit and others I got a loss. And it doesn't make any sense. They kind of quit looking. But it's a necessary evil. And that is using your books, rearward looking, the lagging, uh, the leading indicator. Sorry. I agree with that 100%. But the highest and best use of financial statements is to make decisions about the future. Mm-hmm. And what you need, you need to know what the score is so that you can improve it. And for example, this won't be insurance agents, but it applies there too. I have a pretty large electrical contractor as a client. And what we did is we went through and analyzed his margins and different things, which things were actually, some things brought in a lot of cash, but slim margins. And we looked at things and we said, this is not tenable. You need to quit doing this kind of business, ramp down this type of business and ramp up this type of business. And we did that based on the historic contribution of those three different areas, new homes, service, and new commercial construction. In the process of that, we look at the underperformers and say, is it possible in the marketplace to increase our margins in that? And we just determined that it wasn't. It was highly unlikely. It's competitive. Everybody was chasing it. So that's how we use past information to influence our future decisions. Then we looked out there and said, okay, in his case, well, I won't give his exact numbers, but every point of increasing gross profit margin was worth about $120,000 a quarter in net profit to him. 
after he paid his overhead. One point, he could get his margins from 40% to 41% of gross profit. People may not know what I'm talking about, but that's what you need to learn so that you can at least be conversing it. When we started looking at what he did, and it's not really an option to hire electricians for paying less because it's a highly competitive industry and they're hard to get. Materials and supplies, you can do a little better job of buying, but materials and supplies cost what materials and supplies cost in a given market. So we said, what we have to do is get more efficient. We said, how are we going to do that? We said, well, let's do one more service job per truck per week. And that's what we decided to do. And then we said, and this is to his credit, what's keeping us from doing that? And that's a pretty obvious example, but it's true in every service trade I work with. Well, the guys don't have the parts on the truck and they have to drive to the supply house and get them. And I don't care how close the supply house is. That's a two hour trip. Because they got to talk and drink a cup of coffee and wait for the guy to get it. And they already had it on their truck, but they didn't know it because it's under boxes. So we started organizing trucks and tradespeople listening will go, of course, but they don't do it. But once they saw $120,000 a quarter, if I can get one more job per week per truck. And that's what we did. And this guy has carried that so far beyond that. But that's how we started. So we used the historic information to give us the impetus. And then we use recurring historic information to measure our progress. Did we do it? Did we get to 41? Well, we're at 40 and a half. And then we can look through the financial statements and say, well, why didn't we get to 41? Well, this, 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 and this. And now we're managing the company based on information. This is what we're trying to do. This is where we fell down. What changes do we make? And it works. But to make that all off your gut, you know, oh, come on, man. Ground fault circuit interrupter costs $30. I'm not going to revamp my business for that. Well, it wasn't $30. It was the job you didn't do because two electricians went to the supply house and came back. Yeah. It was the job you didn't get done Friday afternoon. Yeah, you know, just brings to mind two thoughts as you were sharing that. I think a lot of business owners, insurance agency owners, or just business owners will say often to their sales teams or sales team leaders, managers, Hey, what gets measured improves, right? We say that a lot, but a lot of times we don't necessarily do that for our own, right? Right. We're talking about their calls, their quotes, their presentations, appointments, et cetera. And so it's real easy for us to say that, but we don't necessarily do a good enough job of making sure that are we measuring the things that we want to make sure that that improves and every single one of us. I mean, there's not a person that's listening to this podcast, regardless of what business or businesses you own, that does not want to improve your financial statements, period. We all want to make more money and ultimately take home more money. And then the second point is whenever you talk about measuring progress. And I think that just understanding that the trend is your friend, like, you know, what's the general trajectory? Are things improving over time versus typically you're not going to take a business from $200,000 to 2 million overnight, right? I mean, those things don't happen very often, but I want to transition into our conversation that you had the other day. I thought it was really fascinating. You shared with me just your approach to business. And you had the four things that a business owner must do. And I really want to give you the opportunity to kind of go over that. What's that structure? And uh, share a little bit more about that because I thought it was pretty fascinating. Well, thank you for that. When I started, when I got out of business for myself, sold my last company and thought, I don't want to start another company. That's a lot. And I thought, well, maybe I can help people. And so I started coaching. Well, There's a learning curve there, too. I didn't really know how to do that. And what I came up with over time 
really is a construct that I use that's useful for me as a coach in helping my clients, but it's useful for my clients as well. What I say is there are four disciplines of business, which kind of parallels 4DX, but they're different subjects. There are four things every business must do in order to do well. And you must be really good at them, all four of them, to thrive. And those four things are guiding the business, getting the business, doing the business, and administering the business. Guiding the business, of course, is leadership, but it's creating a culture, not just having one happen to you. It's having a vision. It's having goals. It's building teamwork. It's incentivizing people, holding people accountable. It's leadership, right? Which is an immensely complicated subject, but it's leadership. Most of the businesses I work with, the leadership is just the natural innate behavior of the owner. I mean, the culture, and they don't think much about it. So that's number one. You have to guide the business. Second thing is you have to get the business, and that's marketing and sales. Okay, Marketing is generating the leads. Sales is closing. Most people are aware of that. The third thing is doing the business, which is production. It's doing the contract work. It's manufacturing stuff. It's delivering and servicing your insurance clients. It's doing what you do. The fourth thing, so guide, get, do, and administer. Administration of the business, the way I love to describe it to people who started their own businesses and they always get a chuckle out of it, as I said, administrative matters are all the things you had never even heard of when you started your business, <laughs> including accounting and finance, but it's IT, it's HR, it's legal issues, it's taxes, it's insurance. I mean, it's corporate franchise tax. What's that? It's can I hire this person as a 1099 because that way I don't have to pay their taxes or they got to be W-2? Anyway, just massive, endless list of things that come at you that you had never even heard of. And when I encounter people, new clients who come to me generally, not because they're failing, but because they want to do better, I discover that they're really good at one of those four things. They're natively good at one of those four things. And that's almost always doing the business. Yeah. I'm a psychiatrist because I went to medical school. I'm a retailer because I have experience in it. I'm a welder. I'm an insurance agent. They're good at those things. Most of them are aware of the need for marketing and generating sales. However, almost universally, I ask people, new clients, where do you get your business? And what do they tell me, Bradley? Yeah. Yeah. Referrals. Referrals. Word of mouth. I said, well, show me your referral program where you influence people to refer. Well, I don't really have one. <laughs> exactly. So the advantage of having that four disciplines of business construct is I'm always on my client's behalf, and they are too, cycling through those and saying, where's the short stave in the barrel? We cannot walk in, find everything that's wrong with your business, identify all these things. I'll pontificate because I'm a coach and I, this is not where it needs to be. And you can do better. At, well, you can't do that. It's overwhelming. You pick one thing. Occasionally there's two, but yeah. you pick the short stay and you raise that. So it's no longer the limiting level of water in the barrel. And where's the next one? And it might be, we don't have enough leads. Might be, we're not converting leads. It might be that we're really doing a poor job of servicing our clients and we're losing renewals. It might be that I don't charge sales tax properly, which happened to a client of mine last week. Actually, I caught it. The state hadn't caught it yet, but I'm going, man. We got to fix that now. Mm -hmm. I've got some. Uh, well, anyway, it's always to cycle through that. Always working on the leadership, sometimes in the foreground, sometimes in the background. 
But if you have team problems, which a lot of people do, uh, high turnover kind of conflict, they don't listen to me, they're not engaged. Those are culture issues and they're hiring issues. And you can pay attention to that and you can get better at it. So I'm constantly cycling through those four areas to see where we need to shore it up. And then we do that and then we move on to the next. And by the way, that never, ever, ever stops. That's right. You can always get better. And when you get in the habit of doing that, it's like lean manufacturing, which may not be. Actually, we can do lean on insurance agencies, too. But that's finding and eliminating waste. And once you've learned to do that or once you've kind of trained your eye to see, you see waste everywhere. You see it everywhere. And it's little things. That's why I bring up the 1% thing. It's little things. Fix that one little thing because you so seldom ever get the opportunity Mm -hmm. to do some huge thing that just transforms everybody. So it's always little things. It's cycling through those four areas. Are you familiar with Donald Miller's work? I read everything, watched everything he's ever done. He's magnificent. He is magnificent. Love his stuff. Yeah. I disagree with one of his books, though. At least I disagree with one of his book covers is he says business made simple. Business is not simple. Okay. (laughs) It sells a lot of books. Yeah, it sells the books. Yeah. I'm thinking about coming out with a book that says business is hard and gets harder. Right. Right. Like it is really hard. And it's because, as you said, like the cycling through of the get, the do and administer and saying like all of these things that we didn't even think about with business, which was primary first part of our conversation when around things like, I don't want to have to deal with these financial statements. I'll deal with that at the end of the year. Why do I need that? I've just got to do that for taxes. That shouldn't help me to inform decisions, but business is hard. Business is really, really hard. You're dealing with uh, two reasons. I think you're dealing with human beings. Yeah. So human beings are complex. And two, by its nature, business, any business is solving problems, solving problems. And so therefore, if we were not solving problems, it wouldn't be so hard. Right. And so um, I don't know. There wouldn't be any opportunity. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So as I was hearing you say those things, I was thinking about, yeah, it's all that. Right. He's nailed it. Is this entire podcast is dedicated to leadership in my book and it's titled business isn't brain surgery. It's much harder. (laughs) <laughs> exactly. And it is. I have neurosurgeon yes. friends. They spent 13 years focused in training, oversight, discipline, practice on a very specific subject, right? Yeah. They're not even total brain surgery. They're working on spines or they're working on the different parts, you know. Business, it took an average of six days to form a business. I've got that quoted in here. I don't remember who said it. it costs a hundred bucks and you're in business. Completely unprepared. And I want people to unload the guilt feeling. Another thing that happens all the time is people come to me and they say, why is everybody doing so well and I'm suffering? And I said, the only reason you think that is because you haven't talked to them. Yeah, now, business true. isn't all misery. I don't want to point that out. No, sure. That it's not all bad. There are a lot of rewards for being in business and other than financial rewards. But everybody went into it unprepared, ill-prepared because they had no clue. And you quickly get ambushed when the sales tax auditor walks in the door and says, let me see your documents or your OSHA, even insurance agents. I do this all the time. I said, you guys show me your OSHA form 300. What? Everybody has to have that. Now, an OSHA guy is not going to come into your insurance agency probably, but Mm -hmm. he is at your shop if you're a contractor. Mm -hmm. What's an OSHA 300? It's the very fundamental basic form that you have to report incidents. Somebody cut his finger, didn't go to the doctor on this date, 
Okay. Well, did you know that? I didn't know that. I found that out the hard way in one of my businesses. I think it's so true. And you're right. I mean, it's not all misery, but we're not prepared for going into it. And if you're listening to this and if you've not started your business, but you have, I think you can all relate to that. I mean, when I shared a little bit about my story earlier, look, I feel like I had every advantage to be prepared in business. And what I mean by that is my dad is a small business owner. He's owned a business his entire career. So I saw my dad's with an entrepreneur. Now, my dad did not take me under his wing and teach me the things about business. I just had to kind of watch him and see his work ethic. I went to Auburn University and got a degree in finance, for goodness sakes, right? And so I have all these reasons to have thought I was prepared for business. But to your point, which you said earlier, is I felt like I could do one thing, and that was just the doing of the business. Like I could sell effectively, right? I could talk to people. I could be persuasive. And that alone was going to be enough. And quite frankly, it was up to a point, right? It was in the early years. It was in the first few years. But then ultimately, the weight of that becomes too much and you end up running out of time and you end up in this like dilemma, right? We actually call it the rainmakers dilemma yeah. where you just simply run out of time. Martin, is there one thing for a small business owner, insurance agency or not, if somebody was having a cup of coffee with you and you were going to kind of take all your years of wisdom and you were going to give them, and that's as I know it's a difficult question, but just one major best practice, like one thing that you've learned, and then also one thing to avoid, what would those two things be? Well, I'm going to say that they're opposite sides of the same coin. And the first is to delegate. That doesn't mean you have to hire somebody, but get an insurance agent, which is kind of obvious, but get a good banker, get a CPA, get an attorney, get a safety advisor, an OSHA expert, get people who are trained in that to advise you. I've got an article on my web, two articles called Surprise. And there are just a whole lot of things where people got wiped out by simple decisions because they made the decision and it was incorrect. They wouldn't have had to. They could have done it properly had they had it. So I call it advisors and mentors. So it is the advice is delegate. And that doesn't necessarily mean hire, but it means find experts in the field. And the more you talk, the more you'll find out you don't know and you find more experts. Don't do it without that. I'm presiding at this moment over the dissolution of a company where two partners went together. There are a whole lot of things that was bad about it, but among them was they got their operating agreement off the internet. So they're coming apart right now and it is an ugly mess. And actually, I think we're going to calm it down and they're going to part. Had they had a good operating agreement, which requires an attorney, they would have been in great shape. So delegate things you don't know about. The flip side of that is don't try to do it all yourself. Okay. So that's the same thing. And then things like my book, I emphasize there are some principles that you can learn. You don't have to become a bookkeeper. You don't have to become an accountant, but you have to understand why books are important and then use the information that they give you. So you can learn these principles without having to become a bookkeeper or an accountant. You can learn principles without having to become a lawyer or a safety expert or a marketing expert. If you're not very good at marketing, farm it out. Because that may not be the highest and best use of your time anyway as a business owner. I think it's so true. I mean, there's so many hats to wear as a business owner, founder, that it's impossible to think that you're going to be good at all of them. It's impossible to think that you're going to be the CEO, the COO, the CMO, the CFO. I mean, all of those. It's just yeah. it's so hard to wear all those hats and to be good at all of them. Well, so I love that. The vision 
that every client I've ever had incorporates into their vision, not to the exclusion of, is to build a highly profitable business that can work without the owner. Highly profitable, can work without the owner. Two different subjects, right? And if those are your vision, or that sounds good to you, more free time, more money, and a calmer life, less stress, then you can head toward those things. And that includes part of that. But you cannot leave the business. The business cannot work without you if all the decisions run through you. That's the one thing. Second thing is you are forever limited to your personal capacity to get things done if everything runs through you. That's so true. To reach that idea of a highly profitable business that can work without the owner, you start to think differently and you start to be sick. You know, I can't afford to pay an attorney. Well, you can't afford not to, right? Sure. Everybody says that. But when people tell me I can't afford an attorney to do this agreement or this contract for me, I said, well, how much does the attorney cost? Well, I don't know. Well, why don't you go find that out first? Well, it's 1500 bucks. Can you afford? Well, yeah, I guess I can. But they thought it was going to be some ridiculous amount. So, yeah, that's true. Martin, this has been a fascinating conversation. I think we, you and I could talk about business all the oh, way up we- and you'd miss your presentation this afternoon. Before we get into E9 rapid fire questions, somebody wants to obviously pick up the book. Where would you point them to? And if they want to connect with you, where would you point them to? My website is www.anealbc.com. And that is A-N-N-E-A-L-B-C.com. If you want to talk to me, you can go on that and schedule a no obligation. I just love it. Call with me. Uh, You can also read, I have more than a hundred articles up there on every kind of subject. So that's one way to connect with me. You can also buy the book there, but you can also go to Amazon and the title is The Profit Problem. They say I make money, so why don't I have it? And if you find something in there that interests you, or you can go to my website, schedule a call and talk to me about it. I love this stuff. I'll talk to you Saturday afternoon as long as OU's not playing. <laughs> All right. You ready to go into E9 Rapid Fire? Yes, sir. What's the last book that you read? I am reading it right now, and it's called Grit. Mm-hmm. I can't remember first name, but Duckworth. Angela I'm about Duckworth. A book a week. I read about a book a week, and it's massive. It just keeps my brain going all the time. Yeah, love it. That's a great book. What book other than your book would you recommend the most to other small business owners? Well, it depends on what stage they're in. I start most of my clients with a book by Darren Hardy called The Compound Effect. It's an easy read and everybody loves it. But the chief benefit of that is that it emphasizes the outsized effect of small changes. And it's huge. It's pretty much a restatement of things Jim Roden said, but The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy. Great book. Ten years ago, I had no idea this would be so hard. Fill in the blank. <laughs> well, it's not as much anymore, but coaching. When I started coaching, I thought, piece of cake, man. I'll just tell everybody what I know. Well, I've read, I've got about 200 books on my reading list that I've deemed worthy of putting on the list. Well, I've had over 400 clients, talked to hundreds more. And so I've refined it. I've begun to understand. And so it's not as hard now, but I had no idea when I started what it would take to be a good coach. What's the biggest thing that you've seen change in business from the time that you first started till now? Man, I'm glad you asked me that question because I love to tell these young whippersnappers, when I started in business, my first job in the grain business, 1974, we did not have copiers. Copiers, because 
carbon paper, NCR paper, thermofax, mimeograph. So the first disruptor to come along was we did lots of things by contract. They came out with faxes. Wow, that's great. Big legal question. Is a facsimile signature a real signature or not? So you started seeing language in contracts, facsimile signature, you know, so we got past that. Recently, this isn't profound. I mean, there's so much software out there I have, but the biggest thing to me personally is Google Calendar and the G Suite, you know, Drive. Excel, of course, when Excel came out, I used, if you want to ask me what five times two is, I'll probably just start a spreadsheet. But that's me, other people don't need it. But Google Calendar has enabled me through my phone or my desktop or wherever I am to get my calendar right. And then that takes all this chaos in my head about what am I doing? What am I doing tomorrow? What am I doing next week? Puts it in one place. I do a brain dump. I open it up to look at my calendar, do what I have to, close it again. So that's not very profound, but when I think about the effect on my life, Google Calendar is huge. What do you think is the one thing that has really stayed constant or consistent during the entire time for business? Well, there are people out there who think otherwise, but you have to make a profit and you have to generate cash. And I have a very large company client in California and we're both well into our 60s. And the change in attitude and how you work with employees, it used to be command and control. People say that really good companies manage people otherwise. It's now the point where people say, well, what's this company going to do for me? Yeah. Rather than and no mention of what I'm going to do for the company. It's as if a job is a right. We're having a really hard time dealing with that because behind it all, your company still has to make money. Even if your company is just altruism, nonprofits have to make a profit. They just don't call a profit. You have to do well in order to do good. And you have to make a profit however altruistically you want to spend it. But you have to make a profit and you have to convert that profit to cash. Never change. Not going to change either. Who would you love to sit next to on a 10-hour flight? Well, Donald Miller wouldn't be bad. <laughs> Although, I don't even want to put it out in the ether. There's some things, especially around this subject of margins and profitability that... I go, well, yeah, that's not the way I'd say it. But boy, he's a master. And it would be so much fun to talk to. What did you learn the most about yourself during the pandemic? Wow, I don't know. That's a good question. I'm a fairly conservative guy. I think I'm not crazy conservative. I hope I'm not. I want to be right, not conservative or liberal or anything. But I think my views solidified that I think some things are going in the wrong direction. And not because of politics, but because of what's best for mankind. And so I watched that. I mean, we've just had this snowball going since probably Bush, Obama, Trump. And it's very disheartening. And my only response to it is keep my hand on the plow and help as many people as I can. <laughs> and hope that we kind of start heading in another direction. I love what you just said. Keep your hand on the plow. I love that. Yeah. I think it's good. When you're not working, what do you love to do? Well, I paint with oils. That's one of my main passions. I write. Of course, that might be work, I guess, because mostly I write articles on subjects that come up. And I'm a long distance bicycle rider that spent a lot of time on the bicycle and in the gym. Well, it is the Club Capital Leadership Podcast after all. So what is the best piece of leadership advice you've ever received? To be decisive. And that doesn't mean that you have all the information but you have to get enough information and decide. And one reason for that, there's more to it than this, but 
life really is just a bunch of decisions. And the unmade decisions are the one that really, really hurts you. People will follow decisive people because if you're decisive and that decision is leading towards purpose and a goal, people will follow you partly because they believe the same thing, but partially because they have to make the decision. And I'm not denigrating people. Everybody's decisive in their own area. But when you have goals, a plan and say, let's go, we're heading north today, people will follow you. If you go, I don't know, today I'm west, tomorrow I'm southeast, but maybe we'll go north. People will drift away. Love it. Martin Hahn, I've enjoyed the conversation. I hope to be able to have you back on the podcast in the future. Well, thanks and love everything you're doing. I love listening to your podcast. I think you hit the nail on the head. Well, thank you so much. Well, I really love that conversation with Martin. I mean, I could talk about business all day long. I mean, hey, you know what? Sometimes your story or your mess becomes your message. And what I shared on the podcast about mine is very true. But it was through that ultimately that I learned. And hey, Club Capital has been a big part of that, being able to provide me with my monthly financial statements so that I can make better decisions in my businesses. And so if they can help you to do that, if that podcast resonated with you to say, you know what, I really need to get a handle on my numbers so that I can use those numbers to make better decisions. I hope that that spurred you to consider that. Uh, Obviously pick up his book, The Profit Problem. Fantastic book. I think you'll learn a lot about it and see just from not only what he said, but also what he writes in the book about how many people don't get really great financials to be able to make good decisions and, and why that's so important to have those consistently on a monthly basis. You know, a couple of things that really stand out to me, obviously the four must haves or the four things you must do in business, you must guide, get, do, administer, guiding, leadership, right? It's so important. I mean, like this entire podcast is dedicated really to helping you to grow in your leadership. You got to be able to get the business, right? The sales and marketing aspect of it. And I heard somebody say recently that, hey, if you fall in love with the marketing of the business as much as you do the actual sales of the business. I mean, everybody loves conversion, but the fall in love in the marketing of your product or service and the doing of the business. And many of you can definitely relate to that. You have a skill. Some of you may have been working in an office previously to opening your agency. And so you're really good at the doing side of it. And then lastly, whenever he talked about administering all the things we forgot about, including financial statements and bookkeeping analytics and We didn't realize we'd have to do that. Plus the recruiting of the team members and paying of taxes and so many other things. Him just putting all that into an admin. I thought it was great. I really enjoyed that. I think I'll always remember the guide, the get, the do, and the administer. You know, almost like a couple quick reminders too. I didn't say it on the actual episode and I meant to kind of interweave it, but many of you probably heard before that revenue is vanity, profit is sanity, cash is king. And that is... So true. And also just know cash is the oxygen. It's the lifeblood of your business. No business can survive a day without the oxygen of cash. Obviously, reach out to Club Capital if they can help you with your analytics and your bookkeeping so that you can use that to be able to make better decisions. Go to club.capital and book your no obligation demo. As always, big thanks to our sponsors, Club Capital, Direct Clicks, Relevant Advantage and Coach P Consulting. If you want to work with somebody who's getting it done at the highest level as an insurance agency owner, it's David Peterson 
and Coach P. Go to Coach P Consulting and let him know that you heard about him on the Club Capital podcast, and he'll give you 50% off your first month. And as I just said, it's so important to fall in love with the marketing of your products and your services and your policies. Two great partners, Direct Clicks can help you with your SEO. They can help you with your pay-per-click. They can really help you to be able to stand out. And then whenever you want quality, best boat, custom. I was just having a conversation with Josh Fuller the other day, and he was sharing with me a shirt that somebody, I believe, down in Georgia had him create for his insurance agency. If you want to be able to stand out from your competitors in your local marketplace, none better than relevant advantage. And if you're a state farm agent, make sure you go to their sister site, which is SF Agent Promos, SF Agent Promos. Hey, as we wrap up, 2021 with just a few episodes left in this year. Let me express my thanks and gratitude to all of our listeners. We're just been blown away with the growth of the podcast this year. I know I say that very often, but truly we have. We continue to try to find awesome guests like Martin Holland just to be able to serve you. At the end of the day, a big core value principle for myself is all about growth to contribution. And so we hope that as you're listening to this podcast and you're growing, you're growing in your leadership, you're growing just as a person, that you're able to use that growth to go out and contribute to the lives of others. Contribute to the lives of your team members, of your family, and your customers, the company you represent, growth to contribution. And so I'm grateful to be a small part in your journey and look forward to a great year in 2022 the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Until next episode, lead well.